We're going to turn to our main reading. It begins strangely with the image of a snake being lifted up, an image that comes from the Old Testament of Moses lifting up uh, a golden snake as a, a way of, of healing the people who were suffering from all kinds of snake bites in a moment of crisis in the wilderness story. And then it goes on to the most famous verse uh, in perhaps in the New Testament before carrying on that theme of God's love for the world. And Simon is going to read that to us. The Gospel reading is John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have, may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but, but whoever does not believe stands, stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Life has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. May that love inspire us once more. May your word speak deep into our hearts and may we trust in you day by day, step by step. Amen. John 3.16 has been named by many as the most famous verse in the New Testament or in the Bible itself, used in countless songs and church anthems, in numerous sermons, quoted on t-shirts and on posters across the globe. It reminds us of the very heart of the Gospel, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal love, eternal life. It speaks of those three great truths, God's love for the world, a love shown in Jesus, the invitation to believe and trust in Jesus, and the promise 
of eternal life, life abundant and full. And in a time when we are all the more aware of our vulnerability and mortality, then that gospel summary is immensely powerful and comforting and strengthening. When it was written, the writer and the hearers would be all too aware of the power of death in their life. Death in many different guises. A time when life was cheap, where the power of Rome could be oppressive, persecuting and creating numerous martyrs. And life itself was immensely vulnerable without all the medical help that we have today. And into that is this promise that God loves the world and that love is seen in Jesus. So focus for a moment on those three great truths. God's love, not just for a chosen few, but for the world. I think perhaps our perspective on the world is larger than ever. A world that is not just a human world, but all creation. And a world that is not just a tiny earth spinning in space, but the whole cosmos. God so loved the world. That's the fundamental. And anything else is an aspect of that, a development from that. And nothing is contrary to that. But then the verse goes on to that invitation. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that all who have faith in him that invitation to trust in that love, to allow that love to transform our lives. And then that great promise that they may not perish but have eternal life. That dimension of life that is so much greater than we can possibly imagine. Life as Jesus said in the Gospel later, life that is abundant and full. That is the heart of our reading today. But let's spend a little bit of time on the introduction and the follow-on from that great verse. The reading starts strangely with this image of the snake. It links, as I said, to that story in numbers of the people in the wilderness who are grumbling and turning away from God. And then all these snakes are sent by the Lord. Seems a fairly drastic measure. And people start to die. And then God tells Moses to create a golden snake. And when people look at the snake, they will be healed. It's a very, very strange story. 
particularly when we think that the golden calf was the great no-no in that story. And yet the golden snake is seen as something of value. Something that is so deadly becomes a source of healing. And I think that's why John picks up that image of the snake. The cross is like a dreaded snake. A snake that is deadly. And yet it is transformed through the love of Jesus. That self-offering love that he demonstrates on the cross. We're still having a few little technical problems, but I hope you can hear me still. God's love is costly. In his book, Love's Endeavor, Love's Expense, W.H. Vanston describes this love, this self-giving love on the cross, like this. A doctor watched as a young student uh, a surgeon operating in a London hospital. And the doctor says it was an operation of the greatest delicacy in which a small error would have had fatal consequences. In the outcome, the operation was a triumph but it involves seven hours of intense and uninterrupted concentration on the part of the surgeon. When it was over, a nurse had to let, take him by the hand and lead him from the operating theater, like a blind man or a little child. And Bill Vanston goes on to say, this is what self-giving is like. Such is the likeness of God, wholly given, spent and drained in that sublime self-giving which is the ground and source and origin of the universe. God's love is costly. And John goes on to say that the light that shines through Jesus is rejected. Hatred and fear and evil still have power to trap and limit human lives, to turn people away from that gracious light, that love that God has for them. And that means that Jesus has to go to the cross, entering that darkness for us and conquering it. This is the verdict, John says, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We do live in a darkened world. We hear reports on the news day by day of one atrocity, one violent crime after another. 
There is a darkness in our world. It is part of the cost of freedom and God's gift that we have that freedom to reject him, to reject that light, to walk the dark way instead. And who's to say that we are not part of that darkness too? Are we not part of the world's broken nature? As the first letter of John puts it, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. There is a darkness in the world. And the cross doesn't simply wipe that away. It confronts it. It confronts the hatred. It confronts the power of death. And yet, mysteriously, it overcomes those realities through love. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. May we have that honesty, that integrity, that desire for truth, that we will be enabled to look at ourselves critically, to put aside the little resentments, the prejudice, the little hatreds that we have, and to come into that exposing but healing light of Christ. Remember those three great truths of that famous verse. God's love, not compelling, but giving us freedom. Not condemning, but saving. God's invitation to come and trust that light, to trust that love you see in Jesus. And God's promise of life renewed and enlarged and everlasting. Lived in the light, the eternal light of God. Thanks be to God for his love beyond words. Amen.